February when the world stopped turning on that September day. For you in the yard with your wife and children working on some stage building. Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger dear for your neighbor, or did you just sit down and cry? And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Uh, surviving and thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show. It is show number 99. And yes, our opening was a little different. And yes, um, my 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 opening was just a little different. I didn't want to step on the toes of that beautiful song. That was Alan Jackson and the, the song, Where Were You? Today is September 11th, 2019. And uh, this day is a very solemn day uh, for many and um, a day to reflect and remember. And we're so blessed and fortunate to have um, a, a tremendous person with us as our guest today, um, New York City firefighter, Chris Edwards. And I'm having a little technical difficulty here. Hold on. Hold on, everyone. Back to it. Sorry about that. Uh, we have New York City firefighter with us, Chris Edwards, uh, who was in Pennsylvania today uh, so many times as he's done speaking about 9-11 and the events and, and being one of those people that never forgets and, and shares that message with us. So we're very fortunate to do that. So thanks for being here. I know we have some live listeners. Please leave us a comment, a question, um, or something, uh, your memory of 9-11 uh, on the comment stream there, and we'll try to get you to you during the show couple of announcements before we start. Show number 99. Just one more away to 100. We're excited about that. I do want to give the Port Jervis Library a little shout out here. They are having their Comic-Con here, Fan Fest, coming up. That is Saturday, September 28, 2019, 11 to 4 here at the Port Jervis Library. And I'm trying to get this uh, picture in here. Uh, but this is happening here in our community and uh, happy to promote that. There's more information uh, here at the library, as well as their website. And uh, they have a, a tremendous list of events here. If you want to take a snapshot of that, uh, we'll get that on here. And uh, it's, it's great. It's great for Port Jervis. It's going to be great for our kids. So lots happening uh, with that. Also, I want to thank our sponsors for the show. Once again, Rocketbook is sponsoring today's show. If you haven't watched before, um, Rocketbook is a reusable notebook. It's a smart notebook. And I've developed a relationship with them. And we're going to have our own uh, Andrew Murata Surviving and Thriving book coming out soon. Uh, but it's great. It helps you keep your notes. And, um, you know, you can get these notes into your Google Drive, into your email. It's erasable and reusable. So check out uh, rocketbook.com. And uh, uh, my own Rocketbook's coming out soon. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. So. Thank you to Rocketbook once again for sponsoring the show. 9-11, 18 years ago, that was Alan Jackson. Where were you? Uh, you know, I grew up remembering people talk about Pearl Harbor and, and what that meant to them and uh, their lives and their family and what it, what it did to, you know, our beloved United States of America here. Uh, I was teaching in New York City in Staten Island at the time, and uh, I grew up in Staten Island with the view of those twin towers each and every day. It was part of my childhood. It was part of my upbringing and uh, certainly remember that day. So fondly, if you know me personally, I don't have a great memory, but certainly remember that. Um, and that song, uh, our Port Jervis students sang it today uh, at the Deer Park uh, Memorial. It just brings out so many emotions, right? About how people came together and, how we healed, how we, you know, just came together as a nation, uh, not thinking about things like race, not thinking about things, um, our differences, right, but what brought us together. And really the selflessness of, of all of those heroes, uh, certainly going to talk about it with Chris Edwards here. Um, so we started the show with that song. We're going to end it with that song, uh, Where Were You by Alan Jackson. And, and hopefully today, you do remember and you do reflect and, and thank our first responders and the people uh, 
that were responsible for helping and saving us on that day. Enough of me talking, everyone. I do want to welcome in today's guest, Chris Edwards. Come on in, and uh, thank you so much for being here, Chris. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome, really welcome it. to thank Education, you. Leadership, thank and you. Beyond. He's my man. He's a hugger. He's got he got it full of emotion and, and vigor. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I yeah. really appreciate being here today. It's an honor. It really is an honor to to come down and be at number ninety nine. <laughs> just <laughs> made it way. in. Under, I just <laughs> made it under the hundred. <laughs> I got my mom watching. She says, hello here, Chris. And oh, uh, if you are watching live, please leave us a question or, or comment. Uh, Chris uh, is a lifelong New York City firefighter and uh, served his life in New York City and um, has done a tremendous amount since 9-11, um, not only in helping us remember, but inspiring others and, and uh, just so much, Chris. Tell me. How do you feel today, 18 years later, Chris? Uh, really, September 11th is a day that uh, it's like a wound that will never, ever heal for us. Uh, a lot of people think it was the day that happened, and that was the end. But in reality, we've lost over 200 firefighters right now have uh, lost their lives from fighting cancer, World Trade Center diseases, cancer, heart disease, and lung disease. There's over almost 2,000 firefighters right now that are fighting cancer. Um, so September 11 is a day when I say a wound that will never heal. For us, it just it hasn't ended. It hasn't ended. And it's something that is so important that, uh, that we teach the kids uh, about what happened that day. Uh, when you stop and think, um, a senior in high school wasn't even born. So you got a whole... You got a whole school system from 18 down to kindergarten that have no idea what 9 11 is about. Mm -hmm. Just and, the memory. You know, right. And that's for us is something that's so important because when it's all said and done and we're gone, you know, firefighters and guys that were down there, first responders, when we're gone, it's going to be left to somebody else to carry those stories on. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for the young kids to understand and to learn about exactly the sacrifices. That so many people made. It was firefighters, police officers, civilians, and passengers on planes. Flight 93. When you stop and think of the heroes that were on that plane, it's it's unbelievable that they sacrificed their lives because Flight 93 was heading towards the White House, they mm -hmm. were saying. Mm -hmm. And those passengers on the plane knew that none of them knew how to fly. Todd Beamer, Jeremy Benitz, and uh, Glick were just a couple of those passengers on a plane. And one of the famous sayings, that I think every kid should really learn is what, you know, Todd Beamer said the time that they hung up the phone and he said, let's roll. And that's when they went into the cockpit. And in my heart, I want to know that they got in the cockpit, mm -hmm. you know, and they took, tried to take over control of the plane. Nobody knew how to fly. And a plane crashed in the middle of the field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, killing everybody on board. They all stepped up to make a sacrifice to save hundreds and thousands of people's lives. My my thing when I uh, what I like to tell all the kids that um, you know that that come through or, you know I go to speak to, I explain to them on, on one of the worst days in the history of our lives, the bad people did a lot of bad things, but the good people will always be the greatest. When you stop and think of how many people were saved around the World Trade Center, it was over twenty seven hundred people killed around the World Trade Center, but every day there was over a quarter of a million people around those two buildings. It was a 16-acre, you know, plaza, and you had, you know, God rest the souls of those 2,700. I don't take anything away from them. But when you stop and think of the millions of people that were saved because the sacrifice that firefighters, police officers, civilians, and, you know, the whole thing was is that uh, one of the greatest stories that a lot of kids don't understand and probably never heard was about a volunteer firefighter. His name was uh, Wells Crowder. And Wells Crowder was a, uh, a Rockland County firefighter. He was working in the, uh, the towers. The towers collapsed, and his mother and father just thought he had just died in the towers during the attack. Um, what happened was a year goes by, and all of a sudden, people start saying, wait a minute, there was a man with a red bandana that helped me out of the building. And another one said it. And somebody else said it. Somebody, and it went all the way around. And what happened was that finally all that information came back to his mother and father. And what they did is they found out that Walsh Crowder helped five New York City firefighters take people downstairs. 
Wow. He always wore a red bandana when he was a volunteer firefighter in, in Rockland County. And here he goes, and he puts his red bandana on, and that's how they identified who he was. So many people were saved by him. Yeah. So you, you have so many different heroes on that day. And it was the largest evacuation rescue in the history, really, of the world. Lower Manhattan, you had close to uh, over a million people. And civilians on boats went rushing down to Lower Manhattan and started taking the seriously injured over to a triage center set over in Jersey. And that's what really saved. All the New York hospitals were waiting for people to come in. And they didn't get half the survivors that they thought because a lot of them went over to New Jersey. Wow. 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 You know, Chris, you mentioned Wells Crowder. I, you know, I heard that Boston College. Is that the race that Boston College runs with I, the red? I, you know what? I, you can't quote me on it, but I know that yeah. they do a, a red bandana race. Right, the red bandana yeah. race. Right? Okay. Chris, where, where, you know, you've been a lifelong firefighter. Were you on duty that day? Where, where, where were you? Uh, I was actually at home. Okay. I had a doctor's appointment. What happened was I had uh, injured my left knee. And just to tell you the love of the job, I had to go. The fire department was getting ready. They were going to retire me. So what I ended up doing was I said, listen, I don't want to get out. So I had to get something done with the knee. I had a partial teddy ACL, torn meniscus, and bone chips in the left knee fighting the fire. So what ended up happening was the orthopedist says, look, I'm going to have to to, uh, give you a replacement. I said, if I get a replacement, I never go back to work. So he suggested what they called an osteotomy, all bone work. I told the fire department doctor, and they were kind of looking at me like I was nuts, saying, you know, you're 42 years old, you can go fishing for the rest of your life. But the love of being a firefighter and helping people is something that's just, it just can't explain. It's just something you can't explain. And I went through these operations. I actually went through five of them. Uh, None of them worked. They were major, major infections. I was in a hospital for like a month and a half. Wow. Uh, two and a half up in St. Anthony's and two and a half down in uh, special surgery. And then when I got out, it was in March of 2001. It was the last operation. And, you know, now you want to get back to work even more. And I had to wait until the knee healed up, till the leg healed up. And uh, then all of a sudden we had a, you know, so, you know, the year 2001 was a tragic year for the fire department, even before 9-11. Uh, Father's Day fire in Queens. It was an explosion in a hardware store. Three fathers are killed. Mm. And then I think they had, between the three of them, they had like maybe about 11 kids. Wow. That was on Father's Day. Now, all of a sudden, you want to come back even more. Now, it's like a drive. And then there was a young kid who worked with us. He was on a rotation, a rotation uh, thing. What you did is they put you in an A, B, and C house as a probie. And a kid came to work with us. And he was a great, great young kid from Staten Island. There you go. From Staten Island, there you, know, you go. Your hometown. And uh, and what ended up happening was the kid uh, comes and stays with us for, you know, six months. Then he goes back to Staten Island. And uh, this was in around, oh, man, August August 28, 2001. They have a fire. And he's complaining, you know, wasn't feeling well. And they said, you know, Mike, go sit in the back of the rig until you feel better. He goes and sits in the back of the rig. Next thing you know, they're looking for him. They go, where's Corumba? He said he went back at the rig. So they go in the back of the rig and looking for him. He died of a massive heart attack. Like 29 years old. Wow. Wife, just had, he just had a baby. He had, they had a son, I believe. And they have another baby. Mm. And his, you know, so this was all leading up to 9-11. And I mean, these are the things that, uh, you know, you, you just, it's just indescribable, the loss. I mean, that's just working on the fire department. Just as a as a firefighter, you're gonna you, you know you're gonna deal with, you know, unfortunately, you're gonna deal with death. You know, people, you're gonna see it all the time when you work a 24 hour shift. But to stop and think of all the firefighters and what we dealt with the 9 11, that was just the magnitude of everything. And now you're dealing with, you know, a lot of people you know. And yeah, so, you have some friends tuning in here. Uh, Randy uh, Hilliker here and uh, oh, yeah. Dina yeah, Lynn Hess. McKinstry from Ohio is tuning in. Yeah, we just came back. Hey, Tina. She's got hey, a lot. She's got a lot of names there. <laughs> yeah, great, great people. Great, great um, people. But Chris, one great of the people. things you've done since 9-11, like how, tell me, how did you become a person that became a presenter and a speaker? Was that something that you always kind of um, did, or did this just start? Did you feel the need that you need to tell this story? How did um, that happen? There's 
there's a need to tell a story. Um, I might get a little emotional. I like to say what I like to say in the very beginning is September 11 was a day. The old saying that grown men don't cry went right out the window. So if I do get emotional, you'll understand. And I, Randy and Dina have already gone through the toilets with me through the museum and they understand what I'm talking about. Um, for us, it's, um, you know, to keep the brothers alive. I, I know a lot of the families. I know a lot of the wives and I know a lot of the children and the kids. And, you know, I've made a promise and we all have. We all made a promise to keep their legacy alive throughout the country. You know, the moment that we stop talking about them is the moment they're going to really, they're going to die. The more stories that we can tell about them, they'll live forever. Now, if I tell you a story, you know, you might go back, you know, you go to Staten Island and tell a story about somebody. I'll tell you, and all of a sudden, my friend's going to never die. Yeah. He's going to live forever. Yeah. You know? Well's crowded. So, Well's crowded. That's an easy, you know what? I never met go. him. But that kid is that kid is a hero on September 11th. He sacrificed his life. People don't understand. I mean, what people would have to do, what, what the brothers were faced with when they got down there was an undescribable scene of horror. Um, there were innocent people trapped above in the North Tower when a plane hit in the high 90s, 93rd to 98th floor. There's over 1,500 people trapped. Some of them made a decision. Some of them made a decision. The decision they made was something I hope nobody's ever faced with. And 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 those that decision that they made, I guarantee you, they went right to heaven. Mm -hmm. Because where they were was just indescribable. The first New York City firefighter killed was a firefighter walking into the North Tower. Somebody had jumped and hit him mm. coming down. Mm. That was the first fight. Now, you can imagine you and I going into fight a fire, a high-rise fire at the Trade Center, and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, and then all of a sudden this happens. Wow. And then you and I know that we still have to go in, and we got to make it up to the 90-something floor in the North Tower. And now going up fighting a high-rise fire as a firefighter, What's going to eventually end up happening? One of us might go. One of us might, might die of a heart attack. That's just the way it is. You got over ninety pounds of gear, and you got to run up, you know, ninety something flights of stairs, and you're faced with that. So you could imagine what the brothers and the first responders would feel, would dealt dealt with as they went towards the trade centers. They were responding. You know, there were two French brothers that did a documentary that I ended up running into down on Duane Street on Wednesday on Wednesday, the 12th. I got down there on the 11th. I was down there that nighttime at about 11.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night, I got down to the Trade Center. But I ended up running into these two French brothers, and I didn't know who they were. I went over to Duane Street after I came out of the hole, went over to Duane Street, and that was a company down there. And I get over there, and all of a sudden, I see these two guys with cameras, and they're following people around. They're following the brothers coming out of the hole, and the brother's coming in to work, and they're hugging, and, and they're crying. And these two guys are going around with cameras. And they're already? One day, less than a day well, later, they were already there? Yeah, well, you know what it is? I, I wanted to go over and whack one of them. Yeah, sure. Thank God I didn't, because you know what? They were the two French brothers that were inside the North Tower when it collapsed. Wow. They did the and documentary. They, the yeah. they all, the footage that they had, Andrew, wow. were like beyond description, because they had Chief Pfeiffer, in the tower was telling his brother, who was lieutenant, bring the men up the stairs. That was the last time Chief Pfeiffer ever seen his brother. There was Father Michael Judge in the North Tower praying. Every time they heard somebody hit the ground, Father Michael Judge is saying, God, please make it stop. God, mm. please make it stop. That was the last time Father Michael Judge was seen. He was a very good friend of mine, Dave Weiss. He got choked up. Uh, I got choked up. But um, he was a good friend of mine, Dave Weiss. And he was, in the, he was with Rescue One. And he's in the lobby, and these two French brothers are like, you know, really, you don't really see too many faces on, on in the video. But he's a fireman, and the, the, the French brothers had a picture of this, a firefighter's back. And all of a sudden, he turns around, and there's Dave Weiss. And this is one of the funniest guys you'd ever want to meet. You know, you'd laugh and laugh and laugh, and the look on his face was... It was good. He knew he wasn't coming back. And um, like I said, thank God I didn't hit any of those French brothers because I would have been on the documentary and I wouldn't have been good. <laughs> I'd have been, I'd have been in handcuffs. But you know, that's 
it's crazy. It was just a crazy, crazy time, you know. And Chris, you're traveling now around the country with a with a traveling 9/11 museum. Is that tell, yeah. tell me tell me yeah. what's going on with that? Well, the story is it's it's called the uh, Stephen Siller Tunnels to Tower 9/11 Mobile Exhibit. The Stephen Siller Foundation is a foundation that was started because um, a New York City firefighter, a family member, his name was Stephen Siller, and what happened was he was also from Staten Island. And what happened was Stephen was uh, going to play golf with his three brothers. And all of a sudden he gets off of work. He worked in squad one in Brooklyn. He's heading home to Staten Island. And all of a sudden the North Tower gets hit. Stephen calls up his wife and says, listen, tell my brothers I'll catch up with them later. I got to go to, I got to go to the trade center. At which time Stephen ended up driving back to squad one. By this time, the company was already responded. He grabbed his gear 85, 90 pounds, throws it in the back of his truck, and he tries to get over to the, you know, get over to the trade center. He can't get it. They've got the Brooklyn bridges packed and people running for their lives. Uh, he goes to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. He gets to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, and, and the tunnel's packed. All bridges and tunnels were closed down. A lot of people don't understand that. In New York City, right after the attack of the, the, uh, the, the North and South Tower, all bridges and tunnels were closed down. You couldn't get in or out. Yeah. And at that point, <clears throat> there was only one way to get through. And Stephen puts on his gear about 95 pounds, 80 to 95 pounds, and runs two and a half miles through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Wow. Through traffic, you know, stop traffic. He gets to the other side, and he's faced with three blocks away from the South Tower, north and South Tower. He runs over, and he, and he hooks up with Squad 1. Gets in with Squad 1. They're credited with saving thousands of people's lives. But what happens is the tower collapses. Stephen and all the members of Squad One are killed. They've never found him. They never found his body. Um, oh, the family. He had just had he he was married. By the time he was ten years old, he was an orphan. His mother and father had passed away, mm-hmm. and his brothers and sisters. His one brother, Russell. Russell brought him in and not only raised him as a uh, as a brother, but as a son. Yeah. And he brought him in and raised him as a son. And I'm going to tell you something. He did one heck of a job. He raised a man. He raised a hero, not even knowing it. And, uh, you know, he he was raised by his brother. And and they felt as though what happened to him. And he had children. He had like four or five children. His last child was born in 2001. And uh, he married his high school sweetheart, Sally. And, um, you know, now all of a sudden, he's not there. And, uh the family said, listen, we want to keep his legacy alive. So what they decided to do is they decided to start the Tunnels to Tower, Stephen Siller Tunnels to Tower Foundation. And the foundation is overwhelming. Um, they went out and got a uh, an 18-wheeler. It's 1,100-square-foot museum that has the artifacts from 9-11 in there. And it has the timelines and the stories and um Different things like just for instance, there's a Lieutenant Dennis O'Berg, a group of fathers that lost their sons that were firefighters, and they have his shirt up on a in a in a frame, and you know you see his son's picture, and it's overwhelming. And uh, they have the brothers that were there, all the fire, all the fathers that lost their sons, the pictures there, and you know Captain Vigiano lost two two sons, and George Riley, who was my lieutenant in my house in the Bronx, lost his son uh, Kevin, and now all of a sudden. You know, it adds so much to, and it goes around the country, but they they kept his, his legacy alive by helping out first responders in the very beginning. They went and they did a tunnel to tower run in 2002, and they had over 2,500 people show up wow. in the rain, and they ran in the footprints. Now, the race is run around the world. 36,000 participants run from all around the world. Afghanistan, Iraq, some of the military bases overseas. They run it. And what happened was the foundation started figuring, let's help out all first responders' families that were, you know, that were killed on 9-11. And they got taken care of. And then all of a sudden they said, wait a minute, what, what are we going to do? And they said, well, you know what? We have young men and women that weren't drafted that decided to join the military. And when they decided to join the military, it's directly connected to what happened to us on 9-11. And all these young men and women joined the military and, you know, now all of a sudden they're coming back with debilitating injuries. Some of them lose their life to sacrificing their life for our country. Mm-hmm. So the Silver Foundation said, listen, we got to help them. So they basically started, as a matter of fact, today, usually I get down to the, the World Trade Center, 
But today, um, when I go to the World Trade Center, well, the, the beautiful one they have over here in, uh, you know, in Deer Park, Flo and uh, everybody oh, yeah. that does it over is phenomenal. And, and then Washingtonville is another one. You know, the Washingtonville Five, uh, the five firefighters from Washington died. They go over there. But this year, I just felt that I had to go and shake the hand of a young man who sacrificed so much for us. He lost both of his legs, and they donated a house to him. That's what they started doing. They started building smart houses for young, for these young men and women that had come back with debilitating injuries. They were in wheelchairs. Today was the first day I walked through the house. Wow. And he doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is touch a button, and the cabinets come down. He touches a button. The stove lowers for him. He can punch it. The, the microwave comes out with a touch of a button. He has a soundproof, uh, sound uh, stereo throughout the whole entire thing. It's it's done by a laptop, uh, not a laptop. What do they call them things? An uh, iPad. Yeah, an iPad. You know, they got that, and um, it's just it just makes their life so much easier because we owe that to them. We owe them that. You know, they're over there. We don't see them. You know, and and like in Port Jervis, there's so many young kids that went to school with my son Travis that became soldiers. You mm-hmm. know, went into the military. We heard all the names today. You did. I mean, those are great, there. great, you know, I mean, yeah. Ryan Fuller, uh, Anthony Marchum, uh, um, Doss was Doss with him. Do, yeah. You know? And then they have, uh, Cole, the kid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Cole? Yeah. Oh, these are great, great kids, you yeah. know, and even, uh, a couple of the kids that were on the wrestling team with Travis, they joined, you know, and even like, uh, Kelly Decker's son, you know, these are kids. There is no draft. Yeah. We owe them. Yeah. And, um, the foundation started this, and then they they pushed up to a point where now it's gold star families, soldiers that go overseas, and you know they lose their lives defending our country, defending our freedom. And what they do is the foundation goes down and pays the mortgages off for the widows. Wow! They've also stretched it out to the point that they want to start, and they've gotten into it. They've all they over forty first responders around the country that have lost their lives in the line of duty where actually they paid the mortgages off for their wives. And for me, it's overwhelming because um, I get a chance to meet a lot of the Gold Star mom, uh, Gold Star Star wives. Uh, We were out in Utah with the 9-11 exhibit and I had a chance to meet two wives and one of them had seven children. One of them had four children. Their husband was killed overseas. Uh, I met a uh, first responder's uh, wife, um, uh, Bradley Clark was a, a firefighter that was down in um, down in Virginia, and what ended up happening was uh, it was an accident during Hurricane Michael, and he's out on the highway with his company, and you know he's a lieutenant and he's trying to worried about the safety of his men, and he's trying to adjust the rig, and what happened was an eighteen wheeler came over and hit him, and Bradley was killed, and his wife Melanie she went out and and her daughter uh, Olivia, they went out and. The foundation went down there and paid off her mortgage. Wow. And what she did was the fact that she didn't have a mortgage, she went out and kept Bradley's Clark's life alive within doing like a move over, a move over law. You know, if you see a first responder on the highway, you got to move move over to the the, the law now. She went out and made it a law. Wow. With the time that she didn't have to go to work and she used that time to go out and make a difference in the world. And it's and it's underneath Bradley Clark's name. These are amazing stories, uh, Chris. It's, it's amazing. You know, another amazing thing you did here, uh, and thank God you didn't punch out those guys, because uh, Jay uh, Zaliski said uh, that that documentary is incredible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is. But Chris it also is. wrote a book here. I'm going to try to get it in here. Uh, you know, Coming Through the Flames, uh, My Life in the FDNY by Chris Edwards and there's a picture of Chris there uh, with the with the new Freedom Tower here, and that's Point, that's Point Peter up here in Port Jervis, the top of the mountain. Oh wow, yeah, and okay, and that book was written solely for my children, and what I mean by that was, you know, like I told you, we've lost 200 firefighters died from World Trade Center diseases. Um, yeah, I'm probably one of the best. I'm not talking look wise. Probably one of the best physically looking guys you're ever going to meet because I've had three joints replaced, both knees and my right shoulder. Um, 
have pulmonary fibrosis, have asthma, I have nodules on my lungs, I got a spot on the kidney, I got a spot on the liver, I got uh, sinus surgery I've been through. We all come in, we all get acid reflux right away. We got the 9-11 cough, and then what eventually ended up happening was they found a heart problem and uh, put me in congestive heart failure, and I got a, a pacemaker defibrillator in. But I've ran out, I've literally ran out two batteries by doing volunteer work around the country. And I figure, you know what, I want to get my money's worth out of life. And I'm not talking financially. But that's not what, but I'm, it's Absolutely. what I can give back. What I can give back. Well, this is a, a living, breathing book here. How, how did you do it? How did you, how did you sit down and put these stories? Uh, right paper? up on top of that mountain. That's where it all started. I mean, I, when I moved into Port, when I moved into Sparrowbush, uh, my Travis was in school, you know, uh, I think it was like in sixth grade or it was seven, no, somewhere around there. Okay. But what happened was I, I was questioning my faith. I questioned God. I, I questioned faith. Why bad things happen to great people after nine 11. It was just like overwhelming when I lost a lot of friends. You know, I need to start going to funerals and memorial service. And now it's like, you know, it's just overwhelming. And um, so what happened was I, I came in and I started looking around and I just said, you know what? I got to I got to go back to church. I got to look for some kind of question my faith. And I and what I did is, I, you know, you have so many churches around here and temples and stuff. So I decided to go over the same areas and I went to church one day and I would walk into the church, the large church, go over to the left. And I count seven pews back from the left hand side. Don't ask me why, but that's where I felt comfortable. And I promise I made it. People say, Chris, you can't make a deal with God. But I made a deal with God. In my heart, I did. Even though I know he's got the last say. <laughs> and if he ever comes looking for me, Andrew, don't tell him you see me. He you might find you on the podcast. Don't, don't, don't tell him you see me, Andrew. <laughs> if he watching. comes looking for a bald-headed firefighter. I don't know that guy. <laughs> but uh, what I did is I started going to started going to church. And uh Every single day, I drop Chavo off at school, and then I go nine o'clock mass. I go from nine to nine thirty, and I pray. And uh, after about two months, I wasn't getting any answers. So I actually walked out in front of the church to the other side, where now the big parking lot is. And I looked up, and I had a conversation with God out loud. And if, if you know, if uh, one of the police departments were seeing me, they probably would have came over and put me in a white jacket and took me to the hospital or something for observation. But I basically went out there and I said, listen, God, I've been coming here for two months. You haven't given me anything near an answer. And as I was looking up, I looked to my left. And as I looked to the left, that's when I seen Point Peter with the American flag on it. So I said, you know what, God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start. I'm going to start going to I'm going to start going to church, and then when I'm done with church, I'm going to drive up the hill, drive up the mountain, and I'm going to sit there because I figure I can get closer to heaven, and you'll hear me better. <laughs> and that's where it all started. And I and I did it, and then two and a half years later, and if I missed maybe about 10 days of church in two and a half years, that was a lot. I was going through Monday to Friday. I went up on top of the mountain, and I started writing notes to my children, stories. And the stories that I wrote were things for them to remember. It wasn't really meant for anybody, but it was meant for them. And um, it was kind of funny because um, the woman who helped me put it together, uh, Linda, yeah, Linda Lucas, Linda yeah, she helped me, Lucas yeah. yeah, she helped me put it together. And when it was all finished, all said and done, she goes, I want to tell you something. The stories are overwhelming. You got you to gotta give this book to some other people to read it. I said, listen to me. Nobody wants to read my story. This is for my children. No, 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 I'm telling you. I said, well, if you get proof to me that somebody likes it, then you tell me. So she gives it to two professors in, in Ark, and they come back, and she says they like it. So I think that they're doing her a favor. They like it. So they're just being nice. So, so I, I said, well, you know what? Let me try something else. So I took the book, and I went over to Stewie's. I know they're not a sponsor, but I'm going to say something. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> so I, they're betting it on the hook now. Not yet. But, uh. I went over to Stewie's and there was a waitress over there, Diane, who, you know, I've been going over there quite a lot. And Diane is such a great, great person. And I went in there and I said, Diane, I said, I got to ask you to do me a favor. I wrote this book for my children and I'd like you to read it and just give me an idea on what you think. And I said, listen, I, you grade it. You can grade it. I don't care. So like two weeks, you know, about two weeks, I go back to see, you know, I was in there before, but two weeks I go back and she comes over to me and she's crying. And she gives me a hug and she goes, Chris, I never realized 
that you went all that all firefighters go through all that thing. And I said, listen, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to make it sad. I no, 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 no. Chris, I laughed. I cried. I laughed. I cried. She says, but I love the book. So I love Diane, but I think Diane was being nice to me because I got to give her a tip <laughs> at Stewie's. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm thinking that, you know, she's being nice to me. So the what ended up happening was the true test is that I also do volunteer work around the country with disasters. Um, I've been on 13 or 14 disasters in the past, like 15 years around the country. The we- a lot of the weather things. Right? Oh, hurricanes, yeah, yeah, tornadoes. Yeah. I mean, I've been out to North Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, yeah, I was out in uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Ike, Hurricane Gastu, tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri, uh, tornadoes in um, Joplin, Missouri, uh, Moore, Oklahoma, um, floods down in South Carolina, Houston. So I've been all over the country doing that. And that's all part of giving back. That's all part of giving back. That's why I ran out two batteries. They had to put another one in. But uh, so what ended up happening, we were actually we're down in Houston. And there's this big Italian guy. His name is Paul Lapano. And Paulie's standing there. And he goes, hey, we're flying back home after like two or three weeks. He goes, hey, Chris, I heard you wrote a book. And I said, yeah, Paulie. Would you mind if I read it? And we're going to run into Houston Airport. I go, yeah, go ahead. And I'm saying to myself, if you ever want a true opinion, give it to a firefighter because there's no mercy. So I gave Paulie the book, and I'm sitting across from him in the airport, and I'm looking at him. And he's, like, looking through the book. So he puts his reading glasses on. Now he starts reading. I said, wow, Paulie's reading the book. So we go to get on the plane. Paul goes, listen, do you mind if I read it on the on the plane? I said, no, Paulie, go ahead. We're flying into Philly. So all of a sudden, he I'm looking, sitting across from him, and I'm looking. He's got his reading glasses on. I figured he'd go to sleep. He's reading a book. We land in Philly, and he comes over to me, and he hands me the book. And he says, listen to me. I go, what'd you think? I go, what, are you finished? He goes, no, I got up to chapter 20, 23. I said, listen, you only got 20 more chapters. No, 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 I'm not going to read it on the plane. I'm not going to read it. I'll read it. You know, I'll read it uh, when you publish it. I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to publish it, Paulie. This is something. Well, whenever you get an idea what you're going to do, I'm going to read it. I'm going to buy it and read it. So now I'm saying to myself, you know, he's saying being nice because, you know, I get another hour with him on another plane and we're going to be sitting together. And he's so I'm figuring that Paulie's, you know. But what ended up happening is we landed in Newburgh. And when we get in Newburgh, Paul comes over to me and says, listen to me. The God's honest truth. I love the book. But he said... I got to the part of your father mm-hmm. where your father died of cancer and what you, your family went through when your dad died. And he says, I was going to start crying because that's exactly what happened to my father. Mm-hmm. So it brought back a lot of emotion. But he says, I'm telling you right now, if you ever get, I'm going to go out, I'm buying a book. I want it. I want you to sign it and all this stuff. So I called up Linda and I said, listen to me, I, you know what? I think we're going to do it. And she goes, well, what changed your mind? I said, it passed the Pauli test. Sure. <laughs> the Pauli test. I said, yeah, Paul LePon. So every time I see Pauli now, I said, if it wasn't for you, I would never publish the book. But because of you, it passed the Pauli test. Well, here it is coming through the flames. I have to read it. I'm, I'm guilty. I haven't read it yet, but our friend Denise Sostchuk loaned it to me. Uh, Denise, uh, yeah. But let's go ahead and, and – uh, Again, your friend Dina Lynn from Ohio says, anyone uh, watching that hasn't purchased it yet, do yourself a favor and get a copy. It's truly something. Thank you so much. That you I, won't put that. It's, uh, it's, like I said, stories about life as a firefighter, on the job and off the job. You know, people just see a firefighter going into a firehouse, but there's a lot of stories that go on behind their lives. Sure. And, you know, you're not going to be a millionaire by working as a firefighter. So what you eventually end up having to do is get a second job. The thing is, you never make your second job your first. Being a firefighter is your first job. And what happens is when, that, when, when, when some of the brothers go out and do that, that's when people get hurt. And that's when they get hurt. So, sure. But that's you know some of the stories that I've written about. It. And there's some... There are really some unbelievable stories, and it, it gives you an idea of what happens in a, on a side street in the Bronx, into the city, what we dealt with. And like I was saying, you, you know, we, as a firefighter, you're dealing with, like, you know, I never expected to deal with, like, seeing dead people on a daily basis. 
but in 42 engine, you know, we went down there and we're seeing, you know, you're going EMS runs. There were shootings and stabbings and right in front of the firehouse. I wrote about some of them being uh, somebody shot up the firehouse back in the uh, late eighties. And uh, when I got there in the nineties, I was in the middle of a guy opened up in the middle of the street and a man shoot and shot six people and killed two of them. And I'm in the middle of the street with two kids behind a double park car. And this guy's got a, you know, he's got an automatic up there. And he, bop, 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 bop. Wow. It's crazy. It really is crazy. But I, you know what? It's the greatest job in the world. Chris, we could talk all day. I know, bro. Yeah, I'm sorry, we could talk all day, me sorry. and you. We're <laughs> professionals. But um, we have a lot of kids in this community, Port Jervis, uh, yeah. that look up to you. Um, you know, you've been a role model. But they do want to serve. You know, what do you tell these 14, 15-year-old kids that, that want to become a volunteer firefighter and then say, hey, I, I, I want to take the test. What do you tell them? I'm going to tell you, I, I going around the country with the 9-11 exhibit, I have an opportunity to, to, to speak to volunteers. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I talk to them around the country. And I've been out 21 stops, 21 stops in two and a half years around the country. And when you see the volunteers, they're the greatest guys. They're, you know, salt of the earth. These guys are... You're your neighbor. And um, just like around here, I mean, you've got some of the greatest fire departments around here. These guys are, these guys are dynamite. A lot of fires around here, too. Um, what I tell them to do is get into the, get into the job and don't stop studying. You're going to become a volunteer. Get into it. Don't go, you know, half, you know, go, go halfway. You go in, you go in all the way. And you make it to a point where you're going to be able to help people. Um, I tell all the volunteer firefighters, they have it worse than us as far as as paid firefighters in a big city. And they go, you know, Chris, how is that possible? I said, let me tell you something. When I get a run, if it's not around my block, and I mean within the area where my firehouse is, I don't know anybody. If I go, believe me, if somebody loses their life, it hurts. But when they get a run, they know who it is. There's an accident on the highway. You know, you pull up as a volunteer, you know whose kids are in that call, or maybe, you know, a family member. You go to a fire and you hear people trapped at uh, such and such address, and, you know, you, you're running down, you know whose mother and father's in. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, EMS runs, people having heart attacks. You see that. I mean, these people you know. So we don't have personal runs in the New York City Fire Department. Volunteer firefighters around the country have personal runs. And those are the ones that hurt the most because you can never forget it. Because you go to a fire, and if you have a fatal fire, now you got to go to the, you, you, you know, you're responding to the fire. And it hurts because you know who passed away, who died. But now you got to go to a funeral. A and it never runs. So yeah. you're going to become a volunteer firefighter. It's, it's the greatest thing. Join your community. It's one of the greatest ways of giving back. And you know what? If you ever want to be a hero, become a volunteer firefighter. And then take the New York City Fire Department test. And that's on a whole other level. It's the greatest job in the world. Chris, what was something that you wanted to say today that I didn't ask you? I know it's been a long day for you. And, again, I appreciate you making the time. But what was something that you wanted to say to our audience uh, here on 9-11? I always go back and say to the kids, one of the worst days in the history of our country, the bad people did a lot of bad things. The great people will always be the greatest. That's the most important thing you remember. Remember the sacrifice that so many people made on this day. That's what that's what this day is about. People who sacrificed their lives to save hundreds of thousands of people. And don't ever forget, because our day has not ended. We're talking over 200 firefighters. And you know what? Not to, you know, but it's eventually, you know, I'm not going to be around to tell stories. And I would like somebody who has it in the heart. And I've met so many great people around the country. So many great people. So many are watching too. And and they are some of the greatest people. And I, I, I've told them all. I said, you know, we need to meet them. And they need to meet us. And it's a perfect combination with the Stephen Silla Tunnels to Tower 9-11 mobile exhibit. Because we've, we have an opportunity to bring our story and keep the friends alive forever. Like I told you, if we, when we stop talking about it, that's when they're going to fade away and die. Um, the museum um, and some of the great people like 
I mean, uh, around, we just, we just had a stop in uh, Ellsburg, Pennsylvania. The greatest, greatest volunteer firefighters is one of the greatest towns you'd ever want to be. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, like a mom and pop town. It's beautiful. Everybody knows one another. You know, and then, then we went to Ohio for one day and it was over 1,700 people came in wow. in seven hours. And then we've gone to Minnesota and, and I mean, we've had one where there was like, you know, it was like a six day or five day stop and it was like over 8,000, almost 10,000 people came through. And, and, and honestly, Andrew, it's one of the most physically and mentally draining things I've ever had to do in my lifetime. But the fact that, you know, I get to meet these great, great Americans and they know how I feel because I've spoken to so many. They know how, where my heart is. And, and when I tell them, I want to thank you for everything you've done for us. And they look at me and they go, well, Chris, we've never done anything. And I said, no, you have. You stopped and said a prayer for a faceless firefighter. And there's three of us here. For three of us there. There's three of us here to say thank you so much for what you've done for us. And don't stop praying. Wow. And they are the greatest. I mean, I can't say enough great things about it. And, and you, you know, the worst part about the, the whole trip, these trips with the museum, is saying goodbye to people because you strike up a relationship with them. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I mean, I, I really have. I've made so many great friends in the past two and a half years. And and some of them even come to New York. And you know what? I said, listen, you come to New York, call me up, and I'll take you for the Freedom Tower. Take care, yeah. Because they're the greatest people, and it's just overwhelming. And like I said, we need to see these people. Uh, we need to see people, great people around the country that – you know, when I when I say, you know, uh, grown men don't cry, it was went right out the window on 9-11. I'll never forget it. I'm out in Minnesota. And there's these big pig farmers, big, big dudes, man. I'm talking like in a, they're 65, 70 years old, but they're like 6'5", they're 375 pounds. They got the, they big got the coveralls. Oh, yeah. my God, man. They pick a pig up and throw them. <laughs> but these guys are so big. And these guys, you know, the and the first thing I do is I say that 9-11 was a day. The old saying, grown men don't cry, went right out the window. And then all of a sudden, I see a tear coming down the cheek of this 365-pound older man. And you know what? It hurts to see it, but it means so much to us that we know that people around our country will never forget our friends, the victims, and and passengers on the, on the plane and and. Even the, the victims that are dying after 9-11, post-9-11, you know, it's, it's crazy. Chris, a lot of uh, education leaders are, are watching. If they're interested in, in trying to get the museum to come or have you come and speak, you know, what, what would be the best way to, for people to reach out to you or get information um, about the museum? Me, I, uh, the museum is the Stephen Silla, S-I-L-L-E-R, Tunnels to Tower um, Foundation, and it's out in Staten Island. That's that's for the 9-11 exhibit that travels around the country. That's the 18-wheeler that we come in. Well, what happens is we volunteers, five New York City firefighters, and we come in and man the museum. And we've had we've got great, great firefighters, chiefs, chief, you know, John Bruckner, uh, Lieutenant Tony, Tony Tomaszewski, who all these are local. We have Pat Clancy, who's a lieutenant in Brooklyn, uh, Captain Tommy Lonigan, Bobby Regals, who was seriously injured. Uh, during the collapse, um, and there's just so many, so many firefighters that volunteers. I think it's over sixty or seventy, wow. and you know you step up, but you know their stories have to be heard because when you put it all together, it gives you an idea on exactly how we felt that day, and it's it's overwhelming. It's it's emotional. And how, and how can they get in touch with you, Chris? You're a phenomenal uh, speaker and author, uh, and, and we can feel the passion today. It's so easy when it comes from the heart, more than anything. It really is. When it comes from the heart, there's two things I never told you. I'm going to tell you now. There's two things they say about me, like when I go around the country. Number one, they say I talk funny. Number two, they say I talk too much. So, so right now, there's probably a whole bunch of people with smartphones trying to translate what I'm saying. But uh, Google Translate. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but for me, I mean, you know, uh, you could drop me an email. It's uh, CJ Steady. It's C-J-S-T-E-A-D-Y at AOL.com. That's my email address. 
Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Um, so whatever, whatever anybody would like to do. I mean, it's for me, it's, it really is like a passion to keep the brothers alive. I mean, um, I have a, I just, uh, an insurance, uh, comp- not a company, but an insurance uh, conference down in Jersey. I think it's at the end of the month. And one of the, the women called me up and uh, she had read the book and she was a girl I went to high school with. Her name is Fran Scott. And she ended up, um, she ended up asking me if I would go in and uh, speak to everybody. And I yeah. said, yeah. And I said, uh, you know, I only donate, whatever you're going to donate, donate it to the foundation. The Stephen Silla Tunnels to Towel donation. You know, I mean, that's that's what I would. I'd rather have it. You know, give a shout out to your family here, uh, your wife Brooke. Oh yeah, and here we go: Paige, yeah. Avery, Travis, Chris, Tara, Clinton, and your grandchildren: Justin, Josie, Brody, Haley, yes. Trent, Jaden, and Aaliyah. Aaliyah, yeah. Aaliyah. I used to have a full head of hair too. And that's gone. <laughs> that's that's gone a long time ago. I had a mullet, Andrew, and it was nice when they were in. When they were in. I'll ask your wife that. This was Chris Edwards, uh, New York City firefighter, tremendous uh, here on 9-11. You know, share this story out there. Uh, let's, you know, get that book out there for Chris. And uh, really, you know, on this day, Chris, you know, just tremendous passion. I really appreciate uh, you being here and certainly the work you're doing. It's, it's a true honor. Don't ever forget the sacrifices of 9-11. It has to be taught not only in school, but by mom and dad. you got to teach your children. The feeling that you had, and that's the most important thing that nobody will ever, nobody will ever die. They'll live forever. You know? We're gonna put this song on to end the show. I got my mom watching, and we uh, we grew up watching those towers. Mom, thanks for tuning in. Thank Chris, you so much uh, again, Chris Edwards. Great job, my friend. I love you, man. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Andy. I really appreciate good people it. here, Chris. Thank you, and. Uh, again, Stephen Stiller Foundation. Uh, let's recognize our library one more time. PJ Com, they're not going to be talking 9-11 this day, but maybe they'll be having a few laughs uh, here at uh, Comic-Con. Uh, Chris, thanks for being on. Thank you so much, Andrew. All right. God bless. Thank yeah. you so much, folks. God bless you all. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a...